here. I guess I'm kind of relieved that it's all over with anyway. It's all over when I get back to business. Don't have to spend my every day working out, although I still feel gypped. Stud, if you listen, buddy. Anytime you want to go back in the ring, only the next time we go back in the ring, I've learned my lesson here. We're going in with a referee. We're going in, we're going to check his back for oil or any foreign substances. If we do it again and I go through all that training for a month like I did, I'm not going to be going in there to be tricked and have him just wiggle out. I mean, we're talking a slam slam. I mean, he's got to stand still and have dry skin before I'll attempt it again. He kind of slicked up on me a little bit, but what the hey. What the hey? It was still a challenge to go in there. It was still probably the biggest challenge I've had since since Indochina. It was unbelievable. The lights at the Capitol Center, the screaming, the total confusion, the life and death challenge. As I was walking toward the stud, I could I could see he was looking at me and he was wondering what I was thinking. Because he saw my eyes glaze and he saw my face drain of all color. He didn't realize it, but I was hearing voices. Voices! Voices that reminded me of the days when the name on my uniform said Grease Manelli, but everybody knew me as Sergeant Fury! Tree, 1967. I think the thing I hated most about Nam was you never knew who to trust. The guy you had doing your laundry might one day roll a grenade into your tent. The little kid that came up to bum chocolates off you might pull out a 45 and pump three rounds into you. The woman you bought for that night might wake up in the middle of the night and slit your throat. I mean, you can never relax. Even on patrol, you'd pass a village. Everybody looked like they were just tending their rice paddies. But no sooner would you get a hundred yards away from it than... go into the village and try to figure out who was responsible. But then everybody would return to normal. It was so frustrating. I mean, the village was pouring fire, lead, and death one minute, and we'd get in there, and everybody would be just sitting around, smoking their pipes, working on their laundry, playing with the kids. Well, I walked in there one day, and I was hot. We lost two men. We dusted off two others, and I knew the fire came from that village. I grabbed three of them and I threw them up against the wall of the hooch. I said, all right, bonsai, adenoid, take a hike in. Robinson grabbed me by the arm and said, Sarge, you can't shoot those. I said, why not? He said, they're NVA. They're not, they're not VC. I said, I don't care. NVA, VC, they're commies to me. Commies are commies. He said, no, these are prisoners of war. These are actual soldiers. I said, oh, for crying out loud. I said, all right, then I'm going to plug these three. He said, no, you can't plug those. I said, oh, God, why not, Robinson? Why can't I plug those? He said, because those are Mountain Guard tribesmen. They work as guides for them, but they also work as guides for us. I said, oh, for crying out loud. I said, all right, well, then I'm plugging these three. He said, no, you can't plug those. I said, why can't I plug these? He said, they're scouts. They work for us. They work for the Peace Corps. I said, oh, for crying out loud. Then who's who? He said, well, it's hard to tell. I said, all right. I 
got the answer. Let's kill them all and let God sort them out! I know it was wrong, but I felt a lot better afterwards. I didn't realize that that village would be the last civilization we'd see for a month and a half. Because when we left there, we got lost in the bush. We couldn't risk using the walkie-talkie for a helicopter. We had to find our way out. And we got hopelessly lost. We ran out of sea rations. We were almost out of water. All of us had lost 15, maybe 20 pounds. It was then we kind of just walked up on them. Some black pajama-clad NVA commie maggot. We walked up on him and we just grabbed him without firing a shot. He was obviously well-fed. We couldn't get him to talk. So we decided we'd do something that we in our civilization find abhorrent. We were going to eat him. I'd read the book about that plane that crashed in the Andes. I'd read the book about the Donner Pass. I knew that in brutal times, people could survive on flesh. The men refused to let me kill our prisoner. So I said, well, we'll just eat part of them then. We'll just eat part of them. We'll just eat the hydraulics. The men said, my God, picturing themselves in the same fate. I said, you want to die? You want to die out here in this stinking jungle? Oh, you, you want to eat a part of this guy? Well, one by one, they all looked at the ground. I knew they, they agreed it was our only chance. We'd eat the hydraulics. So I approached that guy with a knife. He stood there trembling. He stood there trembling! I held a knife in one hand and a Playboy centerfold in the other. And I handed it to the prisoner. One of the guys said, Sarge, what are you doing that for? I said, hey, it's got to feed all of us, right? Ah! All right, children. 